You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Family Matters. In this series, we speak into the most contentious societal issues of our day, not with the world's wisdom, but with God's. The blood of Jesus has ransomed people from every tribe, nation, and language across the earth. And this diverse, reconciled church will reign alongside Christ into eternity. Hear the word of the Lord. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting? when you keep on fighting and quarreling. This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. Dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? Well, this kind of fasting, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. and Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here, he will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and restorer of homes. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interest on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything that you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, 
have spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It is good to see you guys. Good morning. Uh, My name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Real quick before we dive in, uh, I wanted to make somebody uncomfortable. Uh, Drew Lehman, some of you may not know who Drew Lehman is. Uh, He has been running sound every Sunday for the duration of the pandemic, which may not seem like a big deal to you guys, but he's the one figuring out the internet and here and making it all sound good. And it's hard to make it sound okay in here and sound okay on the internet. And the boy's been grinding. You're not a boy, but you know, it's more the idiom. You're a grown man. Um, and Drew's going to take some time away starting this Sunday or after this Sunday, being with his family. Some of y'all aren't, don't know what it's like to not go to church with your family. It's just, it's a grind and it, it can be very difficult. So I just wanted to say thank you to Drew. You've been making it work for a long time. So, sound man, sound man, the most underappreciated person in ministry, the sound man. Uh, so, yeah, very thankful for you, Drew. Um, so here we are, uh, four weeks into our Family Matters series, and I would say, uh, as a church, we have experienced the full range of human emotions in response to the series. And this is just from stories I'm hearing and conversations I'm hearing. We've had tears in, in the lobby, sobbing tears in the lobby. Uh, we've had deep anger both the kind that asks, how long, O Lord? Uh, How long will this continue? And also the kind that gets up and leaves a service, or the kind that leaves the church altogether. Um, We've had confusion and pain. And one question throughout all of this has come up more often than every other question that's come up. There's been one very consistent question that's been asked. What am I supposed to do? And sometimes that can be a little indignant. You're like, what do you want me to do about it? Uh, Sometimes it can be overwhelmed and discouraged. What should I do? Some of it can be confused and just saying, tell me, tell me what to do. It's come from minorities and majorities, those stirred to action and those filled with grief. And I think that points, we've been talking about our design as humans quite a bit throughout this. And that desire, what should I do? I think it, it points to the longing all humans have for wholeness, for a world that works the way we all sense it should, a world that works right. That's the cry for biblical justice. That's the cry for shalom, flourishing, wholeness. So it's been a difficult conversation, but at some point we have to bring the conversation to action. Otherwise, that shalom we were made for remains just kind of a nice abstract theological concept and not a lived reality. We have to embrace that desire for beauty, for fullness, for wholeness, so that we can endure the painful road that shalom requires of us. Because pursuing shalom forces us to face difficult realities inside of ourselves and inside of people and places that we, we genuinely love. But as we've said throughout the whole series, healthy families can have hard conversations. We can name the things that are great about us and the name the things that are weak about us. So uh, today we're going to start steering the series more towards what are we to do? How do we respond? And we want to let the prophet Isaiah guide us uh, and ultimately seeing how this passage that was just read for us is fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus. So 
verses 1 through 2 set the context for us. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. So, the people being discussed here are regular worshipers. These are church-going people. Um, They're asking God to intervene. If you were paying attention the first time it was read, these are people who are praying for God to do something, asking him to intervene. Did you notice the indictment at the very end of verse 2 there? How they're pretending that they want to be near? So on the one hand, these are people, different translations might say something like, they earnestly seek me, or day after day they seek me. These are people who seem to think that they are doing the right religious things. And yet from God's perspective, he's saying they're pretending to be near me. Verse 3 lists all of these pious activities that they've been doing. They're fasting. Again, they're going to church all the time. Here's all the things that they are doing. And they're doing it to try to get God to answer their prayers. Y'all, you've done that before, right? You don't, have to, you don't have to raise your hand, but I mean, come on. You know, where you, you got a mess on your hands and you're like, man, if I do this, I'm going to go share the gospel with a stranger so that God will give me a raise at work. Or how many times we've had people show up to church after a bad Saturday night. You know those Saturday nights? You know what you did. And you say, I'm going to go to church on Sunday to make it right so God doesn't, whatever, make me lose my job or something. So verse 3 lists all these pious activities they're doing to get God to answer their prayers. But he won't answer their prayers. There's a few places in the scriptures where God speaks clearly to people whose prayers he's not answering. Another one is in 1 Peter. Here's just a shot across the bow for husbands. It says, if you're harsh with your wife, God might not listen to you pray. So that being mean to your spouse is one reason that God might not listen to you pray. Here in Isaiah 58, we get another list of reasons. Why won't God answer their prayers? Well, three through five tell us this. You're fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? So apparently their spiritual activities are more about meeting their own needs than they are really pleasing the Lord or serving other people. And again, we've all been there. How often is that question, what should I do, motivated by my own feelings of guilt or discomfort and not really motivated by a desire for shalom, a desire for justice, a desire for serving and caring and seeing the flourishing of other people? And (laughs) what's more is you see how little God is interested in the religious trappings of our activities. He says, you do these things that look good, but look at the way you're treating other people. Look at the way you're interacting with other human beings. You really think that I want you to jump through these hoops while you treat other humans this way? The Lord sees through all of that. And I will tell you, as someone who is currently on this road and I've been on this road, facing your own hypocrisy, your own internal contradictions, your own inconsistencies is one of the most painful things any human can do. 
Right in the middle of this chapter, there's a, an easy-to-miss verse that gets to the heart of what God is calling his people to and what he's indicting them about. Verse 7 says, Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Don't hide from relatives who need your help. Leave that up for just a second, please. Um, so, sorry, Justin, I'm moving your, your music stand. I might have to spread out here. Spirit's catching. I'm going to do laps, y'all. I'm not doing laps. <laughs> Maybe one day. Maybe once my retirement is settled, you know. Uh, I get that golden parachute. Um, so, uh, so, the hungry and the homeless. We have an idea of who those are. Who are hungry people? They're hungry people. And who are homeless people? They are people without houses. Uh, so, other, other translations, what we miss here is, especially if you haven't spent a lot of time in the Old Testament or reading the Old Testament from this translation, uh, the, probably a better rendering of particularly the homeless part, it, it will say the poor wanderer. The poor wanderer is someone that's referred to throughout the Old Testament. The hungry, the homeless, the poor wanderer, that's, you could think of it as a category of person, somebody that falls into this kind of range of circumstances. So it's really important. In essence, you could say, I won't listen to your guys' prayers because of the way you're treating the poor wanderer. Well, who is the poor wanderer? Is it a poor person just wandering around? A poor wanderer is a foreigner, and we would probably call them an alien, someone who's in your country with nothing, uh, a broke immigrant. You could think of them as a refugee. You might think of them as a sojourner. Maybe that's easier to stomach. Somebody who's on a journey, who realizes they're in a temporary place. This isn't my home. You, it's somebody who is in your place that other people say, that guy doesn't belong here. They've got nothing. They are vulnerable. So in verse 7, on the front end, he says, treat the poor wanderer this way. Treat that kind of person this way. And then he connects it with how they should treat their own family. Don't hide from relatives who need your help. So there's a couple of big cultural gaps for us to bridge. We've, we've talked about some of them already. Um, it's hard for us to relate to how tribal ancient Israel was in the sense of these are our people, intentionally separate, intentionally um, distanced from other people. And, and what God is saying here is treat the poor wanderer the way you treat your own tribe. Treat the poor wanderer the way you treat your own flesh and blood. Show that same tribal fidelity, that same passionate concern you would show to your children. Show that to the hungry person, the foreigner who others say don't belong here. This, I don't have words to describe how radical of a sentiment this would have been to ancient Israel. Don't be separate. The people who you feel like don't belong here, treat them like your own flesh and blood. Treat them like your own family. This shows how much justice matters to God. The proper ordering of society, ensuring all people are able to live into God's design for their life. God is saying, I am not answering the prayers of people who are seeking me, who are moral, who are doing the right religious activities because of the way they treat the poor, because of the way they treat foreigners, because of the way they treat the vulnerable and the oppressed. 
Dr. Kim, Tim, Kim Teller. Tim Keller, um, some would argue the Pope of evangelicalism, he summarizes what's being revealed here in a succinct and powerful way. Dr. Keller says, a deep social conscience is the inevitable sign of real faith and a real connection with God. There is an inseparable link between the heart of God and the heart of justice. And so again, this might be hard for some of us to hear, but I want you to see how this plays out in the ministry of Jesus. One of the more uncomfortable passages that we'll look at in our series in Matthew here next year. Matthew 25, then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? You could think of this as them saying, when did we ever see you as a poor wanderer, Jesus? And he will answer, listen very closely. I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. You feel the seriousness of this? Whenever I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. Whenever I was hungry, you gave me food. Whenever I was naked, you gave me clothes. Well, Jesus, when did we ever see you in that shape? Whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did to me. Jesus came to save a people, not just a tribe, all nations, all tribes, all tongues. And what we see here in Isaiah 58, mirrored in Matthew 25, and what I would argue is one of the core themes of the whole Bible, the way we treat the most vulnerable, the way we act towards the oppressed, reveals what we actually think about God himself. The way we treat the most vulnerable in our society reveals what we actually think and probably how we actually act towards the Lord himself. Let me just give you two more examples. We're a Bible people, which I'm thankful for, and sometimes you just got to hammer them scriptures over and over for, for you to see what a big deal this is. Isaiah chapter 1, when you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Here's another example of God saying why I won't listen to you pray. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Why? Your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Proverbs 14, those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. There's so many examples. Go to your concordance and look up the word justice and see how often acting justly towards people is either commanded by God or linked to how we actually view God. Shalom, justice, is at the very heart of God, and so it is at the heart of his mission. The way we respond to the cries of the oppressed, the suffering of the poor, the needs of the vulnerable, the needs of the vulnerable reveals the reality of how we regard God himself. God has revealed this message consistently through his prophets, he has revealed it himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we, in some ways, we have to reclaim this word justice from all the political ideologies that are dividing the church and creating camps. If you're a Christian, let's just put it plainly, the pursuit of justice is not Marxism, and it's, it's not being a Democrat, nor is it being a capitalist or a Republican. The pursuit of justice is just fundamental biblical Christianity. 
There are certainly opinions, and we can discuss the best way to pursue shalom and justice in different places with different people, but justice must be the pursuit of every Christian. If you want to genuinely love God, you will genuinely learn how to love these people and love justice. So there's the introduction for this morning. The original question, what should I do? Last week, we had three statements a just Christian makes. Here are three steps a just Christian takes. One, just Christians listen and believe the cries of the oppressed. So I think a good question for us to consider is who are you listening to that disagrees with you? Or to put that another way, are you only talking with people who agree with you? If you want to remain blind to your own hypocrisies and inconsistencies, which we all have, if you want to remain blind to your own internal contradictions, uh, only read the fan mail, right? Like, only have yes men in your life or yes women in your life. If you only talk to people who agree with you, if you only read people who agree with you, that's a surefire way to remain in blindness. To love God is to love justice. And if you love justice, you will learn to listen. Practically, take a posture of curiosity and humility. And in in our time, listen to the people literally crying in the streets. I'm going to make somebody else uncomfortable here for a second. You could do what one of our deacons, Ron Williams, has been doing. Ron is in the back. Ron was confused, like many of us, by the protests. What's going on? So do you know what Ron started to do? He started walking to where the protesters were for days in a row and asking them radical questions like, why are you protesting? Help me understand. Days, days, days in a row, Ron walked with protesters to learn from them because he didn't understand what was going on. That's humility. That's curiosity. Asking people, why are you here? What is this about? Help me understand. Listen, and then believe them. We have, to put that that believe them part a little bit different, um, I'm just concerned how many of us are looking for the one voice that agrees with us, and we use that to discredit the millions of voices that disagree with us. I'm not saying only listen to people who disagree with you, but if you never listen to people who disagree with you, you'll stay blind. And if millions of people are saying the same thing, we would be wise to humble ourselves enough to ask more questions and listen. We as a church have provided you with unimaginable resources to educate yourself. We have an entire channel on Right Now Media. It's a whole curriculum built out that Midtown did most of the work on. There's a link to it in the media tab of the Sojourn Collective app. It's, it's got videos. It's got reflection questions. It's got further reading. You want to learn more about practical ways you can pursue justice, and you want a familiar face. Regenerous Justice by Tim Keller. You want to learn more about the history of white supremacy in church history, read The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. We've got a copy of the books right out there. There's links to them in the app. If you love God, you'll love justice and you will listen. Educate yourselves, I'm begging you. Do your work personally. And we as a church will do our work corporately. In a a few weeks, we're going to hold 
Um, we're creatively calling them listening sessions. Can you guess what the goal of these listening sessions are? It's to listen. <laughs> and what are we doing? We're inviting all of minorities who would be willing to come and all family members of minorities who would be willing to come and meet with some of the pastors and deacons. Melissa Gordon is going to help lead this, and we're going to ask them about their experience at Sojourn. It's an invite to anyone who's a minority or a family of a minority. If you want more, email, uh, more info about this, details, you can email newalbany at sojournchurch.com. We'll have one in person here in the auditorium, socially distanced, and we'll have one Zoom call. And we're going to ask questions like, has anything ever made you feel like you don't belong here? How could we be healthier as a church? What's it like to be a minority at Sojourn? We want to listen and we want to become healthier. I expect sincerely change to come from this. We expect health to come from this. Listening and learning must be our starting spot. Allow your love of justice to grow and allow the Spirit of God to creatively move in you to begin building shalom. So I'm hesitant to say, here are the eight steps that we are going to take as a church. There's too much creativity in our church body for that. I don't know all the spaces that you guys are in, but if we become a people who love justice and learn to hear what is going on in our cities, then the unique gifts God has given to you, he will stir you and help you bring them to bear in all of the places that we are. Just Christians listen to and believe the cries of the oppressed. Second action, just Christians practice regular generosity. Regular generosity. Do you see all God has given you? whether it's a lot or a little, as instruments in the cause of justice, instruments in the cause of shalom? Are you willing to enlist who you are and what you have in the great cause of shalom? When you give to this church, you are contributing uh, to help bring justice to the poor, justice to education, justice to our neighborhood's food supply. So if you're overwhelmed and you're like, I want to care about justice, but I don't know where to start, then you can just start giving here at your local church. And I would also say some of you have been here far too long, maybe not here physically. Some of the people who call this church home, there's far too many who sit, they're grown men and women who sit with their mouths open and just say, feed me. If you guys have been here for a while, you know, you probably heard me rant on it long enough when people say like, I left that church, it wasn't really feeding me. There's part of me wants to say, you're grown, you feed yourself. What do you mean you're waiting, sitting here waiting for all of us to spoon feed you every little thing? Healthy families share the load. Healthy families don't just take. Some of you have a family member where all they do is take from the family. There's something seriously wrong there. That's a justice issue. It's not a church budget issue. It's not a giving issue. It's not, I mean, in some ways, I guess it's a greed issue. But fundamentally, I would argue it's a justice issue. So if you don't know where to start, start here at home and give regularly here. If you don't want to do that, a couple more examples. Maria Evans. Maria is here. She is the queen of the Silver Grove Neighborhood Food Pantry. We have a food pantry that, it's not a pantry, it's a food mailbox that's become so popular, Kroger's going to sponsor it. It's going to look like a NASCAR sign out there with Kroger and Panera on the side. M Maria fills that box sometimes two or three times a day. If you think that everything is fine in this neighborhood, it's like, it's New Albany, how bad could it be? Bad enough that about a three-foot-by-three-foot three box gets cleared out multiple times a day some days of free food. You, care, you want to care about justice and meeting the needs? Join Maria. Ask her, how can I help? Maybe we need to put two or three more boxes around in this neighborhood. Pastor Stephen and students distribute free meals to low-income families every Wednesday night. 
join them. There's so many opportunities to do this if we want to take it seriously. And we don't have to program it all out. A simple way to look at it, just in terms of generosity, how can I take what I have and use it to bless the world and build the kingdom of God? Look around at your world, your workplace, your neighborhood, your family, your relationships, and then just ask, what's not right? We have an internal policy here with the church staff called the DLR rule, and that stands for don't look right. And it's on everybody's job description, if it don't look right, to do something about it. So when you walk by and a hose is just like flapping around outside, it's like, that's not my job. No, but it don't look right, so go fix it. What don't look right in your life or in your neighborhood? Can you see that as a justice issue? And do something about it. Go there and share who you are and share what you have. The most practical request I would make of you as you begin living generously is to start small and start local. This temptation to be grandiose, or let's go change the world, is so often a clever distraction from actually getting our hands dirty with the work of justice right in our own backyard. Just Christians practice regular generosity. Third, just Christians seek the face of Christ in the face of the oppressed. Whatever you've done to the least of these, you have done to the Lord. (laughs) That's moderately haunting to me. Whatever you have done to the least of these, you have done to the Lord. Do you want to see the face of Christ? Do you want to serve your Lord? The way that We speak and act about the vulnerable. The way we speak and act about the oppressed, the way we speak and act about the poor wanderer, reveals what we actually think about the Lord. Have you considered recently who we proclaim to worship? God himself, whose pleas were not listened to as we turned away from his commands? God who himself was betrayed and rejected by his own creation. God himself, who was born and grew up as a refugee in a foreign nation, who eventually was homeless, penniless, and who was executed between two criminals. executed between two criminals, you guys. And what's he doing in his final moments on earth? He's showing grace to someone most of us would avoid if we passed on the street. He's showing grace to someone that most of us would turn our eyes from and act like we didn't even see. Homeless friend of sinners, they called him, who also happened to be savior of the world. Just Christians seek the face of Christ in the face of the oppressed. So listen to the voices of the oppressed. Enlist all you are in the cause of justice and find the face of Christ in the face of those in need of justice. I don't, I don't have it all worked out what this will look like for us. I don't know what we're going to learn from these listening sessions. So what I'm counting on is us becoming a people who desire the world to be the way God wanted it to be who take Jesus' invitation to pray that God's kingdom would be done and his w- God's will would be done and his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, we would take that so seriously that we would long for it. We would desire it and it would shape the way we live. And so 
like I know how I know how this these sermons have felt for me. I can only imagine how they feel for you. I can feel myself being defensive. I can feel myself wanting to say, but not me. And so I want to do something a little bit different. I don't know if we've ever done something like this before. Um, I'm going to ask us all, well, I'm not going to because i got to read, um, to close our eyes. And I want to read this passage for us again. And I want you to try to let your guard down enough that this might stir your imagination. So close your eyes. Just in your own spirit, say something simple like, Lord, speak to me. Or Lord, speak, your servant is listening. And I want you to allow the word of God to wash over you and just pay attention to what happens. Maybe you have an idea. Maybe you learned something new about the heart of God. I want you to hear this passage again and allow the Lord to speak to you. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves, and you haven't even noticed. I will tell you why, I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? The kind of, that kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. Your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here, he will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. The darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of the cities. Then you'll be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath. Speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day. Don't follow your own desires or talk idly. 
then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. In Christ, God has loved the oppressed, the enslaved, the vulnerable, and the poor. And he goes to great lengths to show us we are them. So, we remember the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread, blessed it, thanked God for it, and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal was over, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed with the shedding of my blood. Drink this as often as you gather in remembrance of me. So we remember Christ's body was given for us, though we had rebelled against him, though we had not followed him, though we had made a show of our religion. The blood of Christ was shed for us to keep us forever safe in the presence of God. So I invite you now to take your cup, open the top, allow this to stir your imagination, the wonder of what the gospel has provided for us. Remember, this is the body of Christ given for you. Eat this in remembrance of him. I know many are overwhelmed and we wrestle with feelings of failure. We've been very hard on ourselves in so many ways. I want you to take this and remember what keeps you safe with God and sets you free. Not your performance, but the blood of Christ shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of him. I'll pray for us and then we will respond through singing and through giving. If you'd like to give on your way out, there'll be boxes by both doors. I'll pray for us and then we will stand and sing. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.